Well, good morning. Certainly is a beautiful Lord's Day, and I trust that you've been enjoying this uh, spring weather. I just love it, because I'm thinking August is coming. And so I, uh, you know, I, one of my uh, favorite verses, and I repeat it to myself many times when I start to growl or complain. Of course, none of you growl or complain. I understand that, but in whatsoever state you are, therefore, to be content. The one thing that I'm noticing, uh, and I've been talking to, uh, you know, obviously a lot of different churches where I'm at and things like that, is that there is a spirit of the age of discontentment that is seeped into local churches. And local churches are just breeding discontent all over the place, and, it, and it's pretty sad. And, uh, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm at that stage, you know, where, of course, I don't understand how they see me as that old, but I'm at that stage of age where I have uh, people coming to me and they're saying, you know, has it always been like this? And I say, believe it or not, no, it was at worse at some times. You know, there has always been a spirit of discontent because, you know, we're self-centered people. We like what we like, and if we don't get what we want, uh, we raise Cain. And uh, that's a sad thing. The verse that I've been repeating over and over again, it's the verse that is most needed in this age. Every man look upon the things of others rather than the things of themselves. That is a good inoculation against discontentment. If I'm going to read a book, I want to hear what the author has to say. And so I'm going to ask him to teach me and to teach you. And let's do that as we pray. Father, thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And therefore, it's not about us. It's not about what other people think. It's not about what some uh, celebrity thinks. It's what you think that's important to us. And that's why you've given us a written revelation. And that's why you gave us the Holy Spirit of God. So that the Spirit of God could teach us and lead us into all truth. Help us to be conformable to the truth. Help us to listen. Help us to be modeling, not after some person, but after Christ. Let that be our focus today. We want the word of God to dwell in us richly. And if that's going to happen, that means that there may need to be some transformation that takes place. Because while we are justified, while we are sanctified, we're not all what we're going to be. Because even though we are that in position, in practice, we're not. But one day, the great promise is that one day we will stand before the Lord complete in him, without spot and without blemish. That's what the church is going to be like. But right now, the obvious implication is that the church has spots and has blemishes. But Christ knows how to cleanse us from spots and blemishes. And he does it through his word. Teach us your word today. Apply it to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in a, in a culture that is uh, very much deeply infected by a spirit of entitlement, how do we view service? That's an interesting thought because, uh, you, you know, sometimes our view of service is that's something we should receive. That's entitlement rather than that's something that we do. That's service. That's Jesus Christ. You know, when students graduate from Lancaster Bible College, they are given a towel. Not only a diploma, but a towel. They walk across the stage, they get the diploma, the next thing they get is the towel. And the whole idea is, all right, now you've been prepared to serve. Now serve as a servant. Pretty impressive. And it's going on for years. I don't know how many years. Um, but I'm wondering if we're sitting here as consumers or contributors. 
Oftentimes, I think the, the great damage that is done in churches is because the spirit of consumerism that's in our culture is also in our churches. It's seeped in, and we're trying to serve ourselves. There's an interesting historical in, uh, individual, and you're going into missions conference, David Livingston. You remember David Livingston? You've probably heard at least, you know, uh, something about him. As they went, they, they lost him for a while in the continent of Africa, and they sent out a search party for him, essentially. And, and uh, you remember the great quote is, Livingston, I presume? And uh, we finally found you, that kind of thing. But David Livingston was a medical missionary and an explorer, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ to minister to Africa. Historians tell us that uh, he traveled over one-third of the continent of Africa sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that process, he endured tremendous hardships, uh, and we find out that so many people often focus upon the hard times he faced and saying, that was horrible. Towards the end of his life, David Livingston was asked to speak at Cambridge University. And as he went to speak at Cambridge University, he said this. There's part of the quote on the screen, but let me give you the fuller quote that was given on December the 4th, 1857. He said to the students at Cambridge, he said, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to an, such an office. People talk of sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. It, is that a sacrifice which brings uh, its blessed reward in healthful activity and conscientiousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the, the common conveniences and charities of life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed and in us and for us. I have never made a sacrifice. That's quite a statement. As a matter of fact, He's probably saying something that the Apostle Paul said very briefly. He says, the sufferings of this present age are nothing compared to the glory that's to come. You know, John the baptizer, like David Livingston, saw ministry as a privilege, not a sacrifice. He was not a consumer. He was a contributor. He did not focus upon his sparse lifestyle, and uh, John the Baptist did have a sparse lifestyle, as you know, or his unique diet. I'm not too much into locusts, although I've had, you know, a, gr a grasshopper, but it was coated in chocolate. Not bad. Uh, uh, lonely places of ministry. He didn't focus upon that or the opposition he faced. As, as a result, he focused his ministry upon God and what God had given him to do. And if I have anything that I want to contrib contribute to churches in, in the few years that I have left, I want to say, focus upon the right thing, people. Focus upon Jesus Christ. Stop focusing upon men. You've not been called to focus upon that. You've been called to be, have an Isaiah 6 experience to see him high lifted up, his train filling the temple. The glory of Christ then allows you to be a person who is responsive and saying, you're going to serve. Because when God then calls the person who's focused upon him and God says, who will go for me? The response is, here am I, send me. Because you understand that you're, a con you're not a consumer. You're a contributor to the cause of Christ. Well, this morning, I want to uh, have us focus upon something that I think is is extremely important in our life. We need to see that we serve Jesus and we need to focus upon him. If we're focusing upon other things, we're probably focused upon the wrong things. Now, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that, you know, there are things that we shouldn't focus upon at times. 
The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, be followers of me. And I'm thinking, when I first read that, that's a little egotistical. But then you recognize that he also said, I follow Christ. So the whole idea is if you follow, if you follow me, it's because you're following Christ, because that's who I'm following. If you follow me and just me, you're following the wrong thing. Because it's not about me. It's about Christ. And I, I want to suggest to you this morning a, a principle. The servant of Christ, to have an enjoyable and productive ministry, they must see ministry more as a privilege than as a sacrifice. So keep that in mind. In John, and, and that's where we're going to be looking this morning, as you look at the sermon notes, if you want to, uh, and some of you want to because you want to know when I'm going to be done. But in, in John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Now, that's quite a statement. You know, I, I was asked again to uh, assist a church to develop a mission statement. <laughs> and I said, well, how's this? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing name. And the... they said, well, that's, that's just scripture. I said, that's enough of a mission. You know, matter of fact, it would probably be better if people focus more upon that mission than the missions that they're generating on their own thoughts. And he came as a witness. He was a man on a mission who saw that his mission was a privilege and not a sacrifice. Now, why did he see it as a privilege? I'd like to suggest this morning just uh, four reasons very quickly. The first reason is, as we see, that he was a man sent. But as a man sent, he saw it as a privilege to bear witness of the light because he understood who he was by understanding several things. First of all, if you understand who you are, you have to understand who you are not. John talks about that. You see what he says in verse 19 of John chapter 1? Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? In other words, he was drawing a crowd. You know, people, people are enamored with, with crowds. You know, if it's a, a big church, if it's a big ministry, it must demand my attention. Nonsense. Nonsense. Some of the most significant ministries are not the ones that are big. The most significant ministries are the ones that are true. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I, the more, and I've been in big churches most of my life, most of my ministry. But I want to tell you, the truth of the matter is, that doesn't mean anything. Because most big churches are collector churches. And collector churches are simply churches that, that cherry pick off of other churches where evangelism is really being done. Because the bigger churches, many times, it's where people come to sit, soak, and sour. And they sit there and they watch and they wonder, but they're not engaged. They're not involved. Because they don't understand that Christianity is not a consumer activity. It's a contributor activity. And so here he's giving his testimony. And they're wondering, who is this guy that's drawing these crowds? And the religious leaders are questioning him, and he testified that he was not the Christ. As a matter of fact, he makes it very clear. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. Well, that answers the question. Because really, that's what they're thinking. Are, are, are you the one we're, we're looking for, we're waiting for? And he says, no, I'm not the Christ. And the religious leaders are kind of confused because, you see, they are operating the way men operate. They were thinking, well... If you have gathered this great following, great following must be that, that you are a great person. And John the Baptist is going to tell them, no, I'm not a great person, but I'm talking to you about a great person. And he says, and I'm not that one. I'm not the Messiah. Very clear. And, and they're, they're, they're trying to figure this out. So they're asking the question. And they asked him in verse 21. He says, well, then... 
What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they're checking out other alternatives. They're saying, well, there's got to be some reason that all these people are coming. And um, he says there, you know, actually, he says, you want to know something? Verse 26, he says, uh, I'm here as uh, among you stands one whom you don't even know. I'm going to talk about him. So the first thing I see there is there was no delusion regarding his identity. He understood who he was not. He understood his identity. Secondly, he, uh, he knew who he was. You know, I think that's important too. You have to understand how God has made you and what he's made you and called you to do. And then do it. It says in verse 22, then he said to them, who are you that we may give an answer? See, they were being sent down from Jerusalem to he from headquarters, as it were. And uh, they, they wanted an answer. Who's, who's this guy that's attracting all this attention? And what do you say about yourself? Uh, and this is, this is how he responds. He says, well, let me give you an answer. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. You know, he's quoting here from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. He says, you know what I am? I'm a voice. That's all I am. It's not about me. It's about who I'm talking about. I'm a voice, and I am simply designed to make straight the way for people to come to the Lord. That's it. In fact, in John's mission that was declared earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says there, as it was described to dad, what's your son going to, this is what your son's going to do. He says he's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we do. You know, I, I know I've been around longer than maybe I should be. But you know, the things that I've done that have attracted attention to me are the things that are worthless. You know, I have good friends and, uh, and I love them in the Lord. And they're, when we get together, the first thing they say was, I was just with so-and-so. I just spoke at this. And I, you know, and on and on. And he says, so what are you doing? I says, I'm just really enjoying the Lord. You know, you don't, you don't need to know about me. You need to know about Christ. And if I have failed to tell you about Christ, I have failed my calling. And John said, I know who I'm not. But I also knew who I am. I know who I am. There was no confusion regarding his ministry. He says, I am preparing the way. You know what people needed to know? They needed to know. And Jesus said it this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Awful lot of personal pronouns there. But it's all about him. And you see, John is saying, I, I simply want to show people the way. I want to show them Jesus because he's the way to the Father. There's no other way to the Father. No confusion regarding his ministry. I think that's important. I wonder this morning, do we understand who we are made to be in Christ? And if we're true believers, we have a mission from Christ because of our new birth. You see, our new birth is important because all of us have a bad birth. <laughs> you know, we are born in our trespasses and sins. Not a great birth. But all of us need to be transformed, and that transformation comes by new birth. And that new birth was described to a religious leader who couldn't figure this out. Jesus made it very, very clear. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, the whole focus is upon Jesus and him being the way. He's the one that deals with our great uh, sin. And he gives us a great solution. And that great solution is a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is not ours. That sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. 
according to the gospel. He was buried. He was raised again. And now he's given us a new life. And that new life is to be fully invested in him. For it says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. And then, as Paul is presenting this, and he says, And you know what? The good news is, when you're a new person, you have a new life. And that new life is, verse 10, You're saved unto good works. Because you see, now, since you're following in the way, and the way is that of Christ, then you do what he does. And you follow what he did in your life and in your ministry. So, who are we in Christ? We are the light of the world, it says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, verses 14 and 16. Therefore, glorify your Father in heaven. We are witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20. What he says, we say to the world. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're to make Christ the focus of our ministry. The second reason that he saw ministry as a privilege is because he saw it as a privilege to bear witness of the light because he understood who Christ was. You see, he says in, in verse 24... Now, those who were, who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, or Elijah, or the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but here there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things are done in Barth, uh, Beth. A barb beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing him. Now, notice several things here. First of all, I want you to notice the fact that, uh, that this understanding of who Jesus was was not something that John dreamed up. It was given to him by divine revelation. It says there, he was engaged in the ministry that he'd been giving. He was, he was baptizing, which is interesting. And uh, he's doing this in a, in a very special way. He had a clear understanding of who Christ was. And, and this understanding, by the way, wasn't universal because Jesus is saying, or excuse me, John is saying, even those that are there, those who are religious leaders who are sent from Jerusalem, they don't get it. And Paul, when he talks about this very event in Acts chapter 13, verses 24 to 28, he says, you know, when the Lord of glory was here, you didn't even know he was here. You didn't understand it. He says, if you knew who he was, you wouldn't have crucified him. And then this understanding did not originate with John. He says, you know, look at verse 31 and verse 33. He says, I did not know him. Verse 33, I did not know him. Now, by the way, the word that's used there is the word oida, which in indicates a, a mental process, knowledge uh, by intuition. In other words, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it at first because I couldn't process this. He's not talking about being acquainted with Jesus. He certainly knew his cousin. But probably even the knowledge of what was said about Jesus at his birth. But he probably had all that knowledge. But he had not yet put these things together. And the divine disclosure and confirmation of the descending dove uh, from heaven at the baptism. It hadn't come together. But the father sent him and he revealed him. That's why he says in verse 33, I did not know him. But he who sent him to baptize with water to me, unto him you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And this is referring to what happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John was given a divine revelation. He saw the very thing he was to see that confirmed who Jesus was. He says, then I got it. Then I understood. All the dots connected. I knew who this Jesus was. It was a divine revelation. And he understood how he was related to Christ. His human response, verse 27 and 28. It is he who comes after me. <laughs> See, he says, hey, I'm older than he is. You remember he was. And he says, hey, the one who comes after me, he goes on and he says there, 
is preferred before me. Whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing him. So Jesus has a greater work. He's preferred before me. Jesus is the one who is worthy of my service, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. John may have been drawing big crowds and they may have been engaged in dramatic actions, but knowing what he knew about Jesus kept him a humble servant. I'm pained when I think of major leaders in the United States who have lost sight of the fact that their lives are about Jesus, not about them. It's not how many books they write. It's not how many people they can jam into a building. What is really important to them, should have been important to them, was Jesus only. But they lost sight of that. And you know what? Eventually, they lost their ministry. This past year has been a tough year to see major leaders of Christianity collapse. And could that collapse possibly have been because arrogance created inflated egos? And all of a sudden, they thought they should increase and not Christ. We've seen leader after leader after leader either fall or create havoc in the Christian community. John may have been drawing big crowds, but they were engaged in, in, in all of these things. But there's always a danger for servants of the Most High God to become arrogant in what they do. The privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as Messiah, Savior, should make us humble servants. It's not about us. It's about Him. And how many super Christians, which is what people think, are really simple servants of the Most High God. I, I, I say that Christianity has always had problems with itis. You know what I mean by itis? You know? Itis is, I'm, um, well, you pick, out the, you pick out the person. I'm a, uh, I'm a um, Pyferite. I'm a MacArthurite. I'm a Swindleite. That sounds bad. You know. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, you know, if I am around a person and they're quoting a person more than they're quoting Christ, I get suspicious. Because it's not about people. And again, I'm not saying people aren't being used of God. But I want to tell you that that person, if they're really being used of God, they ought to be pointing more to Christ and causing people that follow them to be pointing more to Christ. You know, right now, there's too many people that are quoting all sorts of uh, individuals. And I'm saying, fine, I'm sure that those are great thoughts. But you know what? They're great thoughts. It's not revelation. Revelation is based upon who Christ is. And what he's revealed. And that's what John's ministry was all about. It's not about super saints. It's about a super savior. And that's where we focus. There's a third thing. I reason why he saw this as a privilege. And, and it's this. He saw it was a privilege to bear witness of the light. Because he could share the truth with others. In verse 29 and following, you uh, see how he did this. There are three elements of his witness. And just touching upon it very, very quickly. First of all, it tells me in verse 28 and 29, these things were done at this region along the Jordan. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is great. He directs attention to Jesus. He was engaged in ministry he had been given. He was baptizing, but he didn't get lost in his task. He was lost in his Savior. Too often we elevate tasks. If somebody is an eloquent preacher, he's elevated because he's a great preacher. Or he's a great writer. Or she's a, a great uh, whatever. I, I understand that. We, we are very attracted to people. 
But the interesting thing is that you have to have the same spirit of John. And he's engaged in a ministry, but he didn't get lost and distracted in that ministry so much that he stopped pointing to Christ. There's a preacher that is now uh, well-known. He serves in New York City. He was getting, the church was getting larger and larger. He'd spun off churches and etc. You know what he did? He says, you know what? This is becoming too much about me. And he divested himself of all these churches and made them all independent. Because he said, that's not what it's about. There's a pastor in California who did a similar thing. He came and one day he came to the realization as he looked out upon a congregation of 17,000 people. And he said... And they're watching one person using their spiritual gift, and they think that's enough. That's not what we're here for. We're not here to elevate men. If we are, we're elevating the wrong thing. And we should be rebuked because of that elevation. He took time to point to the person who was, who was the focus of his ministry. How easy it is to get caught up in the activity of ministry and not the object of ministry. By the way, isn't that what happened to, to dear old Martha? Her ministry was to make a meal. She got all caught up in that. And really, the focus was what Mary saw. It was about Jesus. And you know who got commended? Not the pot roast. It was the one who positioned herself at the foot of Jesus Christ. You know, he was elevated. And that was what Jesus Christ rejoiced in. And not, another thing is that he engaged others to look at Jesus. Verse 29 says, behold. By the way, this is, this is what is called in the Greek language an enthusiastic interjection. This is a dramatic, passionate, eye-riveting, ear-opening command. That's what's embedded in this. You see, he says, uh, I believe a person is really privileged to really understand who Jesus is. And there's a natural passion that becomes infused in their ministry because they just can't stop talking about him. I want to hear more about Jesus than I want to hear about people. I really do. And as I'm involved in a number of different ministries and churches, I'm thinking, man, are we going the wrong direction? And then I see something else. How he did this. He declares Christ clearly. In verses 29 and 30, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and saw him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I find this interesting. Because what he's doing is he says, Look, he says, I want to focus upon his person. He's the Lamb of God. And by the way, that term in, gathers together all the, the Lamb types of the Old Testament. And Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those types. Literally, in the Greek language, you could translate this, this word, the Lamb of God. You could say God's Lamb or the Lamb which belongs to God. Jesus was the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb for the daily offering. The lamb that Isaiah 53 talks about that takes away the sin of the world. This is the lamb that John ex existed before him in verse 30. And he's pointing to the eternality of Jesus. You see, it's all clicking with John. John's saying, this one, this one that was spoken of, at that revelation at the baptism, this is the one who was before me because he's eternal. He's the lamb of God. And then he not only focused upon his, his person, he focused upon his work. Who takes away the sin of the world. And the, word, the Greek word there is area, which means to lift up, to raise. The sin of the world was lifted up on the Lamb, Isaiah 53, 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then thirdly, how he did this was he described his own testimony in relationship to Christ. He says... This is what I was looking for, verse 33. I didn't know him, but he, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, you're going to see him. 
And he's the one that I'm going to reveal to you at, at his baptism. And he says, that's what I, who I was looking for. And, and this is what I saw. And he's referring to those events. And what he concluded, verse 34. I have seen and testified. This is the Son of God. I think it's interesting here. The two verbs that are used here in the Greek language, seen and bore witness, are both in what's called the perfect tense, which, which simply carries the idea, I've seen the vision and I still see it. In other words, I can't get it out of my mind. I, I just see it. I've seen the vision. It's still before my eyes and I've witnessed and my witness still stands before me. I can't stop thinking about it. That's somebody who serves Christ. The person who can't stop thinking about him. That's the one who serves. It's not that they're thinking about all other things, but they can't stop thinking about Christ. And when they are that focused, then they're going to represent him. You know, I, I, you say, well, people aren't like that. Oh, yeah, they are. You know, Vince. I'm going to pick on Vince because I saw him this morning. He has a Phillies uh, mask on. You know, if I were following the Phillies, I'd try to mask up too, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but he, he, had, he had this mask on. Do you know what? I don't have any question on my mind as to what's in his mind. You know what I'm saying? He's, I'm not picking on Vince because he should have, I follow Christ on his mask, but you know, a, a little girl put on her mask and went to school this past week, or it was reported this past week, and it says, Jesus loves me. And she was taken out of class. She was sent home because she wore this mask. You know what? What I'm saying to you, friend, is what do people know about you? What do they know about you? Do they know about you as being the complainer? Do they know about you as being the complacent? Do they know about you as being the contrarian? Do they know about you as being the person who is all about everything else other than Christ? Christ is the last person you talk about rather than the first. John the Baptist wasn't like that. Do you consider it a privilege to bear witness of the light, Jesus Christ, to a world in darkness. It's interesting. The word that is actually used here for, for witness, you know, that he was, he was coming to bear witness of, of Christ, is the word martuo, which is, is where we get our, our English word martyr. You know, in other words, are you willing to give up everything so that Christ can be magnified in your life? Or have you minimized the ministry by maximizing the insignificant? You've got to be careful about this. By the way, the same word that's used there is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where he says, you are my witnesses. So he says, I have seen and have witnessed, testified that this is the Son of God. You know, I think that there's nothing greater than to make the discovery that Jesus is Savior. And then we give witness to the world in darkness and death where they can find light and life. And that's what our world needs. They don't need to hear our arguments. They need to hear our Christ who's calling them to say we're sinners. We're separated from God. The wage of sin is death and the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That needs to be said. The last uh, reason I think that it was a privilege for him, fourth reason, is that he saw others also follow Christ. You know what? There's nothing more encouraging than to see people who you've ministered the good news to to see them catch the good news, to understand who Christ is, and then see them transmitting and transferring that truth to other people. 
In verse 35, it says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. In other words, these guys were following him. And so, obviously, he wants to make a bigger following, doesn't he? So he, he's going to go out and he's going to get more and more and more and more. Because, I mean, he, I mean, isn't that what he's all about? How many people can he get into his discipleship ministry? How many people can he get into his quote-unquote church? Can he make himself bigger in the eyes of culture? Well, that's not what happened. That wasn't his mission. He understood who he was. He understood who Christ was. And so, therefore, he shared his understanding with others. Verse 36 says, looking at Jesus, he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And you know what John says? Oh, I lost two people. Oh, no. You know, I'm going to have to have more videos put out. I'm going to have to write more books. I'm going to have to have more seminars. You know what he did? He rejoiced. Because those people are doing exactly what Christ wanted them to do. Follow him, not follow John. And he saw them respond to the understanding he shared by following Christ. And in the last part of verse 37, they follow Christ. And verse 38 says, and Jesus turned and he sees these two that, were, that had been disciples of John. And he said, and what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say then, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying. They remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Do you see what happens? They come along and they respond to the understanding that John had shared by following Jesus. There's nothing better in my experience than to see someone that has uh, come to a ministry uh, that I've been associated with, to see them accept Christ, and to see them follow Christ, and see them transmit that truth to other people. That is joy. And they saw him come to the same understanding about Jesus. It says in verse 40, And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was, Catch this! Andrew. Who did Andrew become? A disciple of Jesus. And it's interesting. He says he, he went, he was he's Simon Peter's brother. And he says he found his own brother, Simon Peter. And he said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. He says, you know what? The best thing happened. I found John the Baptist. No, he didn't. He says, you know, the best thing, I found the Messiah. That's what it's all about. And I want to tell you, you know what John is back there probably doing? A little sanctified imagination there. John's there. Go. Go. Stick with him. This is what it's all about. This is who you ought to be following. You shouldn't be following me. You should be following Christ. And the more you follow Christ, the more I'm, I'm blessed. The more I'm happy the more I'm rejoicing. And then the last thing is, he saw them bring others to that same understanding. I, I, just, I just love this. And he brought them to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. In other words, you know what happened? He says, you know what? The one I sought is the one I found I've shared what I've found, and others are finding him too. That's joy. That's a privilege. John had the privilege of seeing others come to an understanding who Christ was, and there's no greater joy than to see that and to understand that others have seen the good news. And it's this ministry of multiplication. I think it was very interesting. Years ago, somebody who all of you know, uh, Billy Graham said, you know, the ministry of this world will never be completed for Jesus Christ by addition. The ministry in this world will only be done by multiplication. In other words, it's not how many people we can gather that will all agree with the same things, but it's how many people will come to Christ, will receive him as Savior, who will live out that 
that Christ-like life which is described in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And as they live out that Christ-like life, and as they're sharing the good news of the gospel and seeing people translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when that happens, then they accept it, and then they go out and they find others. And when they accept it, they go out and find others. But you see, Billy Graham said, Mass evangelism will never save the world. Discipleship will. And if we're not all about discipleship, we're probably about the wrong things. I don't care what kind of ministry people say. I'm, oh, I'm building this ministry. Well, I don't really care about you building the ministry, but I do care about you building the kingdom of God by sharing Jesus Christ with others. That's important. As far as John the baptizer is concerned, ministry is not a sacrifice. It's a privilege. Same thing David Livingston saw. You know, I, I wonder, do you see it that way? Uh, have you come to that, that place where you understand it's a privilege? From 1841 to 1873... David Livingston, for 32 years, was engaged in ministry that was focused not upon David Livingston and the great, great ministry he was doing. David Livingston's focus and attention was upon a great Christ who was worthy to be praised. Where one day, every, that verse on your screen, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God. Every kindred, every nation. That's what it's all about. So how are you viewing ministry that God has called you to? Is it a drudgery or a delight? If it has become a drudgery, then perhaps you need to take a fresh look at the Lord and see and understand who he really is. Or secondly, maybe you need to engage again in an activity where you're sharing your faith with others that you're more engaged in that than you are in other things that are absorbing your attention. Or maybe it would be well for you to take a look at someone you've pointed to Christ and see the ministry that they've engaged in and see them still bearing fruit. You know, whenever I get discouraged, and by the way, uh, I, I come across publicly as not being a discouraged person. I spent most of my life discouraged here. Serious. You know why? Because, first of all, I knew as a sinner saved by grace, and sometimes my sin was bigger than my Savior. And that hurt. I became discouraged because I, had, I was being picked apart by a, I was going to say a herd, a flock of ducks. <laughs> you know... Everybody has an opinion. And you know what? Everybody's opinion's right in their eyes. And, and if my opinion didn't agree with their opinion, guess who was wrong? You know what I feel like I spend most of my time doing now is talking to pastors all across Lancaster County who are being pecked at by a bunch of ducks. And that's sad. Because you know what that tells me? I know what they're focused upon, and it's not Jesus. They're focused upon everything else but Jesus. And that's sad. And that discouraged me. But I want to tell you, there's one thing that encouraged me, and I would focus upon this at times. Have I accomplished anything here? And then I'd remember Carl Caskey. Most of you don't know him. <clears throat> Carl was a, a young guy at this church and worked with Carl and had a chance to mentor him and work with him. And, you know, Carl went to a place called Never Sink <laughs> up in the Catskills of New York. By the way, Never Sink is in the bottom of a reservoir right now. Ir ironic, isn't it? Never Sink. 
But you know, he's been in an area working with Hasidic Jews. He's been in an area that, of extreme poverty working there. And you know, Carl gets discouraged too. And he would contact me from time to time and, and I would encourage him with these words. Carl, you've probably led more people to Jesus Christ than I ever have. Now, they don't stay in that church because it's, it's an impoverished area, so they move out and find jobs, and they move all over the place. But as far as the kingdom is concerned, there is a man who is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And I think of him, and I think of the opportunity and the privilege it was to point to Jesus, to Carl, and see him now pointing others to Jesus. That encourages me. So if your ministry has become a drudgery, let me tell you this. It's not the ministry that's the problem. Not the ministry at all. It's probably a focus that is out of focus. It'd be well to take a good look and see what Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus wants us to do, and how Jesus can use us and has used us and give him the glory. Ministry may require some sacrifice, but ultimately it's a privilege because you serve Jesus and not yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. And we come to communion time and we prepare our hearts. And we do that because we're sinners saved by grace. And as sinners saved by grace, we need to constantly remember that uh, we are not perfect yet. We're perfect in position, not in practice. Or the revelation of Scripture by John was false. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So before we partake of these elements, prepare our hearts, Lord. First of all, where are we in relationship to Christ? That's the vertical. And then, where are we in relationship to others? That's the horizontal. May we be where you want us to be. And may we focus upon you. And where we have lost our focus, we want to come to this communion time and have our focus re-engaged to the glory of Christ. We do this because it says in Scripture, this do in remembrance of me. One of the great dangers is we forget things and you call us back to remember. Help us to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.